Good evening. All right, can I have you guys turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. You know, as we have said numerous times in the course of this study, the emphasis of Peter's second epistle was to warn believers about the dangers of false teachers who had infiltrated the church and were trying to destroy it from within. We've mentioned this, let me mention it again. The devil's strategy of, if you can't beat them, join them, is almost as old as the church itself. I mean, Jesus predicted it before the church actually was born when he gave the parable of the tares and the wheat. You can read about that in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, but Jesus said that the enemy would sow into the church false disciples, phony Christians, counterfeit believers. And what they would do is they would water down the church. They would begin to take it off course Jesus said, against his church, the gates of hell would not prevail. So Satan figured, if I can't destroy the church through outward persecution, well, I'll infiltrate it and corrupt it from within. And he would accomplish that through false teachers who would sow false doctrine within the walls of the church. If he couldn't destroy the church from without, he would infiltrate it and destroy it from within. And that's what he's done. He is... Uh, infiltrated the church in these last days there's a lot of apostasy a lot of christian churches that are just churches in name only i mean did you catch uh the article a few days ago about the united church of canada in toronto they had a uh, they have a woman pastor there and she's uh, come out and admitted she's an atheist she doesn't believe in god or jesus and they and they had a little meeting the the denominational board and decided, well, it's okay. You know, she's a nice person. She preaches love and unity. Where are we today? I mean, this is we're in the last days, and the Satan has infiltrated the church, and he has sown into it his false doctrine. And what that has done, it's neutralized the power of the church. It's corrupted its witness for the most part, and it's destroying its effectiveness in the world. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ warned us about these people. Turn to Matthew 7. Oh, the next couple of weeks are going to be a little bit of an introductory message to this uh, section in 2 Peter. Peter's going to be talking about false teachers, false prophets. And so I'd like to kind of introduce this subject over the next couple of weeks since it's so very important. All right. And so we're going to hang out in Matthew 7 for a while, but we'll be jumping around. Okay. But uh, the Lord Jesus warned us about these people. Matthew 7, verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So the Greek word translated beware means to keep on the lookout for, to be alert for, to be on one, one's guard against. Jesus is very clear as to who he's warning us to be aware of. He said, Beware of false prophets guys false prophets are nothing new they're not unique to the church age they have been around from the beginning let's read the first three verses of second peter 2 where peter said but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you i think he says he's speaking of the old testament times first of all that just as there were false prophets among god's people in the old testament period so there's going to be false teachers among you. 
in the New Testament period, the church age, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now we will develop those verses when we actually get into this chapter. I'm just laying a couple weeks of introduction starting tonight. But Peter is telling us something we already knew, that false prophets have been around since the beginning. In fact, much of the ministries of God's true prophets in the Old Testament was taken up with confronting, correcting, and rebuking false prophets who were like a cancer in the land of Israel. Jeremiah 14, verse 14. Jeremiah said, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesied to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Of course, guys, there would be no false prophets if there wasn't a market for their lies. Turn to Isaiah 30. I want to jump around a little bit tonight so you get a flavor of what the Old Testament good prophets were saying about the bad prophets, and then the New Testament as well. But um, there would be no false prophets if there wasn't a market for their lies. Isaiah 30, verse 9. I'm going to be reading to you out of the NLT, most of these passages. But uh, Isaiah 30, verse 9. These people are stubborn rebels who refuse to pay attention to the Lord's instructions. Talk about the nation of Israel in general. They tell the seers. These are the true prophets of God. They were called seers before they were called prophets. Stop seeing visions. We don't want to hear anything from God is what the idea is, okay? We don't want to hear sound doctrine, all right, is, is the idea. Stop seeing visions. They tell the true prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. Wow. We don't, don't tell us the truth. Make us feel good about ourselves. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Oh, verse 11. Forget all this gloom. Get off your narrow path. Wow, does that sound like, sound like today? Hey, we got to be more tolerant, inclusive. Got to start preaching the Broadway is the idea, all right? People don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to deal with uh, a, uh, a message that talks about the way to God is a narrow way. Jesus said it, right? Uh, many go down the Broadway to destruction, which is hell. But there's only one way that leads to heaven. That's the narrow way. That's through Jesus and the cross, obviously. You know, when you're in apostasy, people don't think like that. These folks were probably going to temple. Uh, today, people are going to church. But they don't want to hear what God has to say. Tell us lies. Forget all this gloom. Jesus is coming back soon. Judgment's coming. I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me stuff that makes me feel good. I walk out of here you know, feeling good about myself. Get off your narrow path. Stop telling us about your holy one of Israel. Oh my goodness. We're tired of hearing about the one and only true and living God. Wow. Turn to Jeremiah 5. Let's read verse 30 and 31. This is God lamenting over what was going on in Israel in the days of Jeremiah. 
He said, verse 30, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies, and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? See, judgment was coming. And God had sent at least one good prophet, there was probably some others, uh, named Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah's book, and remember that God kept telling him, you tell these people they need to repent immediately, because if not, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians against them, and take them away captive. Judgment's coming if they don't get right with me. So Jeremiah is faithfully proclaiming God's word and truth, and the people didn't want to hear it. They beat the poor guy up. They threw him down into wells and into cisterns. They locked him in prison. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They loved the false prophets who they thought were true prophets who were running around saying, don't listen to Jeremiah, he's negative. You're God's people. He's telling you that God's going to destroy you. God's going to take you away captive to Bap. That's ridiculous. You're God's people. He loves you. Look at his temple is here. He would never... Uh, allow you to be taken away captive. Of course, the people loved that kind of message. It was very positive, right? People like to hear messages that are positive, upbeat, and mostly that don't step on their toes in any way, uh, challenging the way they're living their lives. But here's the thing. In fact, God even said this to Jeremiah. These false prophets are saying, peace to my people. Peace. You don't have to worry about anything. Babylonians aren't going to come. Peace, peace, God said, when there is no peace. It's like putting a band-aid on a person with a cancerous boil is what God basically said. They're trying to patch up a terminal disease with a band-aid. You, you can say peace all you want. It's not going to stop the train from coming, which is called judgment, which eventually did come. But you see, God is saying, what's all this happy talk going to do? All this uplifting preaching and, and felt need stuff. How, how's it going to help you when judgment starts coming? If people don't know the truth, they don't know how to repent. They don't know what God has said. They don't know how to get right, is the idea. Now, Paul the Apostle predicted that this attitude would continue in the church age, in the church, and uh, would become more and more prevalent the closer we got to the Lord's return. Turn to 2 Timothy 4. You all know it, but we're talking about this subject, so let's read it again. 2 Timothy 4, starting with verse 3. For a time is coming... When people, now he's talking about people that go to church, all right? Those who profess to be Christians. The time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching from God's word, but they will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. You know, the Lord Jesus warned us about false prophets in numerous places, not the least of which in the Olivet Discourse. Turn to Matthew 24, and let's just look at verse 11 first, where the Lord said that the time just prior to his return would be marked with false prophets and all. He said in verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Again, the closer we got to his return. Verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs, miracles, uh, genuine miracles. Satan has supernatural power.
power. And these false prophets will be empowered by the devil. They will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones, his elect. Guys, the Bible warns us over and over to beware of false prophets. In fact, Paul warned they speak doctrines of demons. Peter warned they bring damning heresies. John warned you'd better test with Scripture the spirit that is speaking through pastors, preachers, and teachers to make sure that they are speaking on behalf of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And as we just read, the Lord Jesus himself warned us to beware of false prophets. What is a false prophet? Well, let's answer that first of all by looking at what a true prophet is. A true prophet was someone who was appointed by God. You just didn't just decide, I'm going to be a prophet. Okay, God had to appoint you as a prophet. And uh, this was somebody who was appointed by God to speak on his behalf. He or she was a spokesman for God on the earth declaring his word. And there, was, there were female prophets in both the Old and the New Testaments. And so conversely, a false prophet would be someone who doesn't speak God's truth, but instead speaks lies while claiming to speak on behalf of God. That's the problem. If a false prophet wore a t-shirt that said, I'm a false prophet, it'd be a little easier to pick him out. They don't do that. Okay. In fact, turn to Jeremiah 23. A false prophet is someone who claims to represent God, who claims to have been sent by God who claims to speak on behalf of God, but they do not. And God called them out in no uncertain terms in the days of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, starting with verse 25. God speaking said, I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between the straw and the grain. New King James says between the wheat and the chaff. Verse 29, does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? What is God saying? My word has power, power to bring conviction, to get smashed the hardest heart, to, to set a life on fire, to burn up the carnality and the chaff, okay? My word changes lives is what God is saying. It shows people the truth. And it beckons them to come to me for the life that they're trying to live without me. False prophets, they just tell people what they want to hear. People's lives don't change when false prophets... In fact, it just reinforces the very carnality that all the folks that want to hear from false prophets, how they're living. God's word challenges. God's word rebukes in love. God's word forces people to consider the way they're living because the way they're living now indicates where their heart is at. And if they don't get their heart right and repent and get saved or come back to him, there's going to be dire consequences. If they're not saved, they're going to die in their sins. I mean, false prophets are not doing anyone any good. 
I mean, there are churches today, people go there and they hear a very um, emotional message and it, it evokes emotion and they feel kind of tingly and they walk out, you know, feeling really good about things, I guess, and, um, but they haven't been confronted with their sin. They haven't been challenged to examine themselves to see if their life really reflects a commitment to Jesus Christ. Oh, they say they believe, but uh, even the demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. Verse 30, Jeremiah 23, verse 30, Therefore, says the Lord, I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say, This prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these false prophets. Their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. I did not send or appoint them, and they have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Look, people haven't changed, not since the days of Jeremiah, uh, obviously. There's always going to be a market for false prophets. When I say false prophets, remember, a prophet is anyone who spoke for God. So we could say pastors, teachers, evangelists, right? Anyone who, we'll say is a leader in a church who teaches God's word, they are in the broadest sense of the term a prophet because they're a spokesman for God. That's what a prophet was, a spokesman for God. There's always going to be a market for false prophets because there will always be people who are going to want their ears tickled. These are people who don't really want to hear what God has to say, not in truth. And instead, they want to hear how God wants them rich, successful, you know, loaded down with all kinds of material blessings. It's all about the material things for these folks. But I think the majority of people who gravitate to churches like that simply want to hear that the way they're living their lives is okay with God, which motivates them to seek out a pastor, any pastor, who will affirm that message to them by telling them what they want to hear. Paul said, if I seek to please men, I'm no longer a servant of God. Uh, and have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, I told you this years ago. I, it might still be there in Los Angeles. Church of the Open Door. Uh, J. Vernon McGee pastored there for a while. He's a great commentator with the Lord now. But um, he said in that church, when you were standing at the pulpit, you could look to the balcony, and they had inscribed a verse I think it was out of John 12 which basically said, sir, we would see Jesus. And, and so, you know, and that was the reminder to every teacher, pastor, evangelist who stood at that pulpit, we don't want to see you, we want to see Jesus. And that was just a real strong motivation, okay? McGee said, I always wanted to put on the pulpit, see, only I could see that message on the balcony, but I always wanted to put on the front of the pulpit where the congregation could see it, another message. Remember what Paul said? Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. Tell us lies, okay? Uh, we, we don't want to hear this narrow way stuff. We don't want to hear judgments coming, okay? Uh, Jeremiah, he's just a downer, man. He's just, you know, he just. I, when I go to church and he's preaching, I, I walk out feeling depressed, you know? Maybe sometimes you need to feel depressed when you leave church. Maybe that means there's some things you need to change or work on or confess or repent of. I don't know. 
I think if people walk out of a church every week feeling good about themselves, something's drastically wrong with that pastor. But um, I think most people go to these kinds of churches because they just simply want to hear that they're okay with God. The way they're living is just fine with God, okay? Uh, They don't want to be challenged to live a holy life for God or to pick up their cross and deny themselves and to follow after Jesus in truth. They don't want to hear that. They want a comfortable, may I call it a country club Christianity, where there's a lot of socializing going on, a lot of networking. I know people have left smaller churches to attend bigger churches. Why? Not because the teaching was better or the church was more right on. It's because there's more people and they could network and, and you know, you know, make business contacts and things like that. For a lot of folks, that's what the church is all about. Just a place where to get fellowship and socialize and, and uh, have some fun and maybe have a cup of coffee in the cafeteria or whatever, which I'm not putting down. But if that's your whole purpose for going to church, it's a problem, okay? Number two, how will false prophets come? Beware of them. But Jesus went on to say, beware of false prophets, Matthew seven fifteen, who come to you in sheep's clothing. While it's true, guys, that false prophets are dangerous because of their doctrine, what makes them especially dangerous and effective in their ability to deceive is their disguise. Is their disguise. You know, one of the things that made the old Western movie so enjoyable was that you could always tell the good guys from the bad guys. It was simpler back then, Okay. You see, in the old westerns, the good guys always wore what? White clothes, a white hat, rode a white horse. And the bad guys always wore the black clothes, the black hats, and rode the black horses. Again, it was a lot simpler back then. That's kind of why I like the old westerns. You You never had to guess who the good guys or the bad guys were, right? Today, everybody's wearing gray. You don't even know who the good guys are or the bad guys, okay? But Satan knows this only too well. And he knows that the only way to really deceive people is to, listen, dress his bad guys in the clothes of good guys. Or as Jesus put it, to dress wolves, false prophets, in sheep's clothing. In other words, to make them look like godly shepherds. Now hold on to that. We'll come back, okay? But I just want to, you know, just want to elaborate on this just for a minute. The devil knows. You will really be able to deceive people if you can make, somehow make the bad guys look like good guys. The ultimate example of this will be when Satan sends the Antichrist onto the world scene. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. This will be the supreme example of what I'm talking about. Revelation 6 verse 1. Jesus Christ is in heaven. And he has taken the scroll out of the Father's hand. And it's sealed with seven seals. And he's going to break each seal. And when he does, judgments are poured out on the earth. Remember, though, he's in heaven when this happens, and he's breaking the seals himself. John says, now, I saw when the Lamb opened, actually, it's the first seal of the scroll. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. There are many, you'd be surprised when I tell Revelation, how many commentators interpret this writer to be Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because he's riding a white horse. 
And we all know the good guys ride the white horses. The old black and white westerns again taught us that, right? Look, in real life, if I wanted to rob a bank back then, in western times, I certainly wouldn't ride into town wearing a black outfit, black hat, and riding a black horse. I mean, you know, I would want to give myself away that, obviously. I mean, I'd put on the white clothes, wear the white hat, ride into town on a white horse, because that's what you do when you're a bad guy and you want to deceive people into thinking you're one of the good guys. In Matthew 7, Jesus is warning us to beware of this very practice, that Satan would dress his wolves in sheep's clothing, that Satan, as the prince of darkness, would disguise himself as an angel of light to deceive and would direct his ministers, and the Greek word is servants, to do the same, deceiving people into thinking they were ministers of righteousness. You can read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, which we will read at the end of the study, so hang on to that thought. But guys, that's exactly what this writer in Revelation 6-2 is. He's a deceiver, a false Christ, not the real Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, first of all, he's wearing a crown. Well, Jesus wears a crown. He's a king. Yes, but in the Greek, this Greek word means is Stephanos, and it's not the crown of a king. That's the diadem, which Jesus does wear, okay? This is the crown of a conqueror, uh, the crown of a victor, not the crown of a king. And secondly, he's holding a what? A bow. Whenever Jesus is seen holding a weapon in the book of Revelation, he's always, always holding what? A sword, a sword. Besides, once again, Jesus is in heaven at this time, breaking the seals on the scroll, which begins to unleash, listen, God's judgments upon the earth. <laughs> this writer, in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, this writer is the first judgment of God upon the inhabitants of the earth, which means, listen, he cannot be the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a judgment. He's going to bring judgment, but he himself was not a judgment upon the earth when he came. In fact, the real Jesus Christ doesn't appear on the earth until the end of the Great Tribulation period. Read Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. As I just said, guys, this writer in verse 2 of Revelation 6 is a false Christ. In fact, he's the ultimate false Christ known as the Antichrist, who appears in the world stage initially as a good guy, a man of peace. In fact, guys, he will come on the scene when the world is going through some kind of global crisis, maybe a limited nuclear war, which seems to coincide with, with Ezekiel 38 and 9 and read Zechariah 12, or it could be a total financial collapse of the worldwide banking system, throwing the whole world into a, the greatest depression it's ever seen and all the chaos that goes along with that, or it might be a combination of both, or maybe even some other things. We do know he is going to, uh, come on the scene as a man of peace. I'm, I'm convinced he's alive right now. And I'm convinced people know who he is. Not that they know he's the Antichrist. They just know he's a pretty slick guy. Uh, he's going to have supernatural intelligence and charisma, wisdom. He will even eventually manifest supernatural powers. But he's going to come on the scene when the world is in great chaos. And with his supernatural brilliance and political savvy, he's going to, quote-unquote, save the world by solving the problem, whatever it might be, that the world is going through at that time, and then bringing in a new era of global peace and prosperity. 
well, this will cause the entire world to think the Messiah has finally come. Muslims are waiting for the Messiah. Jews are waiting for the Messiah. Uh, New Agers are waiting for the Messiah. There's a lot of folks that this, uh, we're waiting for the Messiah. But ours is the true Messiah, okay? Of course, they all think they got the true Messiah, but we know we got the true Messiah. But the, a lot of folks in this world are looking for a Messiah. And now they believe he's finally arrived. He's finally arrived. Because why? Because he's brought peace and prosperity to the world. Nobody's been able to do that, right? But Paul the Apostle says to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, but when the people of this world say, ah, finally, peace and safety. Our Messiah is here. He's ushered in a new era, a new a golden age for mankind. When they say peace and safety, Paul said, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Judgment will fall. But coming back to our topic tonight, Jesus warned us about false prophets when he said, who come to you, in other words, come into your churches, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Guys, in the Old Testament times, a prophet was known by what he wore. You know that? A prophet was known by what he wore. In other words, uh, Elijah, for example, wore a rugged, uh, rough outfit made of camel hair or like a burlap. Why did the prophets wear that kind of an outfit? In fact, John the Baptist, who, by the way, was the last prophet of the Old Testament period, even though he appears in the New Testament. The law and the prophets were until John, up to and including John, Jesus said. And John wore that same outfit, right? Why did they wear a very rough, uncomfortable outfit when they preached because most of the time they were preaching to wayward people people that were just often on the brink of judgment and so they were always their life was not to be comfortable because it was such a terrible time of apostasy most of the time and so they wore this very uncomfortable outfit to irritate them constantly because uh, they weren't supposed to be having fun and and comfortable okay just spoke of their whole ministry right so guess what? The false prophets picked up on this. In fact, in Zechariah 13, verse 4, God indicted the false prophets for wearing, listen, rough clothing in order to deceive. So, you know, false prophets aren't stupid. You know, if a true prophet wore uh, a kind of a, you know, a burlapy Tarzan outfit, I'm not going to get myself one of those. But people are going to think that I'm a real prophet, you know? Now listen, a shepherd wore clothing made from sheep's wool. That was a part of the part of the perk of being a shepherd. You got to keep some of the wool that was shorn every year from the sheep, or twice a year, from the sheep. And from that, uh, you know, you could make yourself some clothing. That was part of the perk of the job, okay, which was a rough job. So false shepherds picked up on that, and they started coming to God's people wearing what? Sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. Guys, Jesus isn't warning us to beware of false sheep, although we should be. He was really warning us, I believe, to beware of false shepherds. See, false sheep, and we've seen people come into the church over the last 38, 39 years we've been around, and, um, you know, at first, very amiable, but after a while we began to see how they were always making contacts and inviting people over to their house and 
after a while, suddenly began to sow the discord. Hey, what would you think about Pastor Phil's message today? Uh, you know, there was a couple things that really bothered me. Yeah, it's like the Mexican restaurant by my house a few years ago as I was driving by, had on the window, you know, uh, one of their uh, specials for the day, uh, El Pastor. <laughs> now, I didn't know what El Pastor was. I just thought they serve a preacher there. What? So a lot of people go home from church and eat El Pastor. Uh, but listen, we've had the false sheep, and they can do a lot of damage. But no one can do more damage than a false shepherd. A wolf that comes to you dressed in sheep's clothing, to me, is Jesus talking about a shepherd who wears the sheep's clothes. Uh, but this shepherd is a bad shepherd. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but listen, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Guys, wolves were the number one enemy of the sheep in Israel back then. You all know this, I'm sure, but sheep have no natural defense mechanisms. Once a wolf snatches one of them from the flock, look, they're totally defenseless, which means they're totally helpless. So, you know, remember that when you're listening to some guy on the radio or watching some person on TV who's talking about, you know, getting in there and fighting the devil. You hear some of these preachers, it's like amazing, you know. And I fought the devil. You know, you got to fight the devil. you got to go where he is and challenge him. And look, you're not Lambo, okay? <laughs> and if you start picking fights with the devil, you're going to be Dumbo. <laughs> you just serve Jesus, he'll come looking for you, the devil. And then you just let the Lord take care of it, okay? Yeah, we don't go picking fights with the devil. If the devil starts tempting us, we don't talk to the devil. Don't, please don't do that. You know, where people are talking to the devil. Don't talk to the devil. Talk to Jesus and say, Lord, get him, okay? Uh, chase him out of here. I, you know, I'm no match for him, but you are. You're the good shepherd. You know, I'm, I'm just a dumb sheep, okay? I have no strength to fight this uh, very powerful being, this wolf. But, but you have all power, okay? But sheep have no natural defense mechanisms. And because of it, they need a good shepherd to watch over them. A good shepherd. A good shepherd was one who was always on the lookout for wolves. Jesus said, the good shepherd loves and cares for the sheep. Turn to John 10. In John 10, starting with verse 11, I love this passage because, you know, I'm a pastor, a shepherd. I just love to hear the good shepherd speak. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said these false prophets come into churches dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The Greek word for ravenous means destructively vicious. Now, I want you to understand this. There are some well-intentioned, loving Christians who, because they don't want to really come out against stuff too strong, want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, some of that's fine, but we have to be discerning too, Okay. Because of it, they just think false teachers, well, you know, there'll be no any harm. 
you know, they, they got their head in this doctrine, and but they're really good people. They just aren't really teaching the truth, you know. Look, don't, I believe Jesus is saying this directly when he said ravenous wolves, destructively vicious. Look, don't think that false teachers and preachers are just well-intentioned, albeit misguided people that are relatively harmless. Jesus is saying they are dangerous, destructively vicious wolves that seek to snatch people away from the truth and carry them down the broad way that leads to hell. Look, you can, uh, you can have a lot of people in your life give you some bad advice. Some of it's more damaging than others, okay? Uh, I would think of a doctor who maybe is not on top of his or her game uh, and gives you some, some bad advice with a health concern, okay, that could really mess you up or, you know, damage you for life in some cases. You might think of a, a, of a, a lawyer, or, or you know, in a lesser capacity, you know, uh, somebody that uh, gives you advice about uh, a love interest or, uh, you know, how to eat. And uh, sometimes these diets get pretty bizarre. But, you know, you can get a lot of bad advice from people that's not going to affect your life too radically. But if you get bad advice from a spiritual leader and teacher, in other words, if they mislead you, down the Broadway that leads to hell, that's eternal. And if you go back to verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7, that's exactly what Jesus Christ said. He likened false prophets to spiritual traffic cops who are waving people, standing in front of the Broadway gate and waving people down the Broadway, which is marked, not, it's not marked this way to hell. The Broadway gate is marked this way to God, this way to heaven. And it's broad. It's t- remember the we just t- talked about the prophet. These people, you know, they they, they don't. They, we're tired of your narrow way of preaching. We don't want to hear about the truth. Tell us lies. Uh, give us a tolerant message, an inclusive message. That's what we hear today. You've got churches that are so misguided that um, they have signs out in front with rainbow colors saying uh, everyone is welcome here. Well, everyone's welcome here. We're not excluding anybody. But if they're going to come in here, they're going to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that may offend some people. If by that sign what you're saying is everybody is welcome here because we don't ever say anything that's going to offend anybody, that's a problem. That's not a good church. Sometimes these false teachers, these false prophets, as Jesus called them, these ravenous wolves, sometimes they know what they're doing. Sometimes they know they're deceivers. We'll, we'll um, elaborate on this more next week. I've told you about uh, uh, an, an actor named Marjo Gortner. Marjo Gortner, when he was just a little guy, maybe five, he was really gifted as a performer. And he had a real keen mind. And he would uh, pretend to be one of these preachers, and he was so good at it, his parents decided, well, let's take him out on the preaching circuit. And he memorized large portions of scripture and at five years old he's up there preaching like he was you know billy sunday incredible thousands and thousands of people would come out wherever he was preaching they thought he was a was a prophet of god uh, the little guy wound up marrying people because they were they wanted the the prophet gortner to marry them you know it was all a, a big act his parents were alcoholics they were using him to, to pretend to be this 
man of God, boy of God, and people bought it and gave millions of dollars over the course of time to this kid. Well, eventually, he grew up and got away from it and wanted to become an actor. And uh, it was a hard way because nobody it was hard to break into the business. So he decided, and this is where I saw an actual film clip, he went back on the preaching circuit at about 18, 20 years old. And again, he's preaching like crazy, and uh, he was a real good pretender. And they showed one scene of him back in a hotel room with several of his crew. They're counting money on the bed, thousands of dollars, and mocking God, saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, he knew he was a deceiver. But there are others who are just as deceived themselves as the people they're deceiving. I think of Marshall Applewhite, who was the leader of that Heaven's Gate cult years ago. They believed that the mothership, this isn't funny, I'm not, they believed the mothership was hiding behind the Hale-Bopp comet. And, and what they wanted to rent, rendezvous with the mothership, so they all drank cyanide or something, 39 of them, uh, and they lay down in beds, bunk beds, all over this house they were renting, and they all died. I think of the David Koresh's, the Jim Jones. We'll talk a little bit more about Jim Jones next time. These were people who I'm convinced thought they were prophets of God. They were God's man on the earth. Paul talked about these people. Now you can turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11 started with verse 13 because Paul talked about these people. He said these people are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Apostle means one who has been sent by God. So they all claim to be sent by God. Okay. Verse 14, but I'm not surprised, Paul said. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Now, I know that some would say at this point, Phil, do you mean to tell me that God will allow men who belong to Satan to become pastors in Christian churches? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, absolutely. You say, but why would God allow deceivers to infiltrate his church? It's not God's fault that these false prophets and false shepherds get into churches. I mean, he has given us his word to protect us from deception and told us to be on guard you know how these false teachers get into churches because gullible undiscerning pastors and church leaders open their doors to them they open their doors to these people because they're convinced they're men of god and why are they are they convinced of that well they own four jet planes and they have a gigantic following I mean, that's got to be God blessing the man's ministry, right? These church leaders open the doors of their churches to, the, to these deceivers of their own accord. We just talked about how that, you know, Jesus warned us false prophets were coming. Paul warned us false prophets were coming. Peter warned us they were coming. Jude says they're here. They crept into the church unnoticed. How was that possible? Everybody and their brother was screaming they're coming. How did they slip into the church unnoticed because again gullible undiscerning pastors who don't know the word open their doors to these charlatans turn to second timothy 4 and start with verse 1 i mean listen to paul's tone here 
He said, I solemnly urge you. It's almost like he's lamenting over what he knows is coming, in fact, has happened. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Talking to pastors now, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching from God's word. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will reject the truth and chase after myths. You see, Satan can't deceive a church that teaches sound doctrine. In fact, turn to John 8. Satan cannot deceive people in a church that's teaching their people sound doctrine. Jesus said this, John 8, 31 and 2. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The Greek is, you're truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from error. The best defense against error is truth. The best defense against lies is truth. You don't have to turn to this one. 1 Timothy 4, 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Timothy, what Paul's saying, Timothy, for in doing this, you know, heed the doctrine of God's word. Continue in these wholesome teachings of God. For in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And he's writing to a pastor who was already saved. Timothy was already saved. What Paul is saying is if you continue in sound doctrine, you will, you will save yourself from false doctrines, from spiritual lies. Again, the truth is the best defense against lies. That's why Satan hates it so much, the Word of God. That's why he tries as best he can to get pastors away from the Word of God, get them going down the road that well, the Bible is just not it's good, but not enough. We need to supplement it with the wisdom of the world, psychology, and other things we hear going on today. Look, guys, it's only when a church refuses to hear sound doctrine, but instead wants its ears tickled with feel-good messages that they're going to hire a pastor who will teach this way, a pastor whom they believe to be a man of God, but in reality could very well be a ravenous wolf. Now, not all pastors who don't know the Lord, and there's a lot of them out there, not all of them... Um, are ravenous wolves to the fullest degree in the sense that all they want to do is take advantage of people and rip people off and line their own pockets. I mean, probably most of them are. But you have misguided people that, you know, they just, they, they want to serve God, I guess. Uh, some of these denominations offer very good salary packages, including benefits and retirement programs. I mean, I've, I've heard it. A lot of men get into the ministry because the prestige, it's an honorable profession, and it's got good benefits. It's a good career move. That's not why you get in the ministry. It's not a career, it's a calling, and all. There are a lot of men in the pulpits today, again, who are wolves, and they do take advantage of God's people. Turn to Ezekiel 34, so we wind this down. 
I think every pastor should read Ezekiel 34 periodically to remind us what God expects of his shepherds, good shepherds, and what characterizes bad shepherds. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them in harshness and cruelty. And of course, God was talking about his people who were sheep and these spiritual leaders who were just taking advantage of them, like a lot of spiritual leaders today. I like what Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said about this. He said, and I quote, Do we have false prophets today? Do we have wolves in sheep's clothing? We certainly do. Moreover, we do not only have them in the pews and in the pulpits, we have them in the denominational structures, in the seminaries, and in church-related colleges. I find it amusing in the light of our text that today we call an academic degree or diploma a sheepskin. For some professors and ministers clearly cover their, their intentions with the sheepskins of higher learning while using their knowledge of the Bible and church history to damage the faith of those who listen to them, we are to be warned against such teachers, end quote. Turn back to Matthew 24 for a second. I just want to use this to kind of spring us forward to next week, kind of set us up for next time. You remember how that Jesus told his disciples he was going away. And they were devastated. And so he goes to the Mount of Olives and sits down there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Peter, James, and John, maybe Andrew, I can't remember, but they came to him. And they asked him, Lord, what are going to be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? Because he said, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm going away. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's going away. He won't be establishing the kingdom. That's obvious now from what he said. They're devastated. They're heartbroken. And now they asked him, well, Lord, what are going to be the signs of your coming back and establishing the kingdom? And what Jesus said to them is very important. He gives them an end times teaching called the Olivet Discourse, the Discourse on the Mount of Olives, the teaching on the Mount of Olives. And before he launches into that teaching, notice what he says in verse 4. The first thing he says, take heed that no one, what? Take heed that no one deceives you. This was going to be a time, is going to be a time, of worldwide unprecedented spiritual deception. And he wanted us as his people to understand what was coming so that we were protected against Satan's lies by just knowing the truth of God really well. Now, I do believe the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, this is a tribulation territory. The church is gone by this time. But it does apply to us living today. Because until the rapture takes place and the church is out of here, we are being confronted. This, the spirit of Antichrist is already in place, right? The Antichrist is not here physically, but the mindset 
that has been preparing people to receive this world leader has been going on for a long time. And guys, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, Jesus told us that these false teachers and false prophets would be on the increase. And today we see many claiming to be servants of God who speak on his behalf. They call themselves pastors, preachers, prophets, even apostles, even apostles. But as Paul warned, they are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ when they're just ministers of Satan. Yet many Christians accept these people as men and women of God because the body of Christ today lacks discernment. And that, in part, is well, a large part of that is because a lot of people are too lazy to study the Bible. Okay? They're too lazy to really find it. A lot of churches don't teach prophecy, so they're not being taught uh, what God said to look out for, Christ's coming and all. Some people just refuse to test all things. Hold fast to that which is good, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. It's too judgmental, you know. I can't say somebody's wrong, you know. I can't, I, I, I can't challenge. I mean, that's their truth, maybe. And because of it, there's a lot of, as John told us, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so... I want to use that as a kind of a springboard into next week's study. I know it's not a very uplifting subject to talk about and to study false teachers, prophets, shepherds, but it's extremely important that we understand what the Bible teaches us about these people. Uh, some of them are pretty obvious, right? I mean, you know, come on. Some of these characters on TV, they're so obviously off the wall and false shepherds it's easy to pick them out. There's a lot of them that are so slick and such good counterfeits. If you really didn't know what the word says to look for, you would be fooled. There's things to look for. And we'll look at some of those things next time. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. If we walk in the light of your word, we will never stumble in darkness nor be deceived. So, Lord, we're living in the last days the days of great deception where many counterfeits have come down the pike claiming to represent you and as in jeremiah's day they speak lies they hold up their dreams and visions they claim to get new revelations from you for a lot of these people it's just lies so lord give us grace to know your truth very well that we can spot the lies when they come across our path Father, we just ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.